Welcome to another episode of the B2B Startup Sales Podcast. Today with Silvan Krenbühl from the Swisspreneur Podcast, uh, who also built Jim Hopper and Solid to My Clubs. Since then, did various things as an entrepreneur. Um, again, had a business development for My Clubs for quite a while, but now also closing six-figure deals for Rentouch in enterprise sales. So over to you, Silvan. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, thank you for, for having me. It's great to, to be on the other side of the podcast game. Yeah, the, tell us a bit about how how you basically started in sales, actually, because you also went to Halske. You you've been president of the Young Entrepreneurs Club at University of St. Gallen, and then founded your first own company. Tell us a bit more about how that uh, came to life. Yeah, right. So maybe a quick introduction there about what Jim Hopper did or still does. It's still active. So it was basically born out of our own need. So we were studying in St. Gallen, as you mentioned, traveling between Zurich, St. Gallen, but also Bern, where I originally grew up in the Emmental Valley. And I had my gym membership. I loved going to the gym. And with that membership, I wasn't able to train anywhere else except at my gym in the Emmental Valley. So I thought there should be a solution that allows you to train at an independent gym. So no part of a chain but still allowing you to train at other gyms across the whole nation or even internationally. And that's basically how the idea of Gym Hopper was born out of our own need. And then we just started with a very basic idea that of course didn't work out at first. And I just tried to cold call gyms uh, to win them over to join the network completely free of charge. I had no script, no clue, never did that before because that's stuff that people don't teach you at university, how to do sales, how to do cold calls. Yep. And uh, we, we really, we completely failed. Uh, after 50 calls, no gym wanted to join. It was free of charge for the gym to join uh, with the first idea. No one wanted to join and we were really at the crossroads to say, hey, do we continue or do we, do we give up? And then uh, a friend of ours actually had a bit more experience in sales, running his own um, agency, consultancy. And he then basically helped us to really build more structure in, in our process. So create a cold calling script, create like an email template, set up a CRM system that you can really track what you're actually doing. And that was also when I was first introduced to Pipedrive. So big shout out hey. to the best CRM from my perspective. <laughs> Um, I know you're using HubSpot, but for us, really, Pipedrive did the trick back then. And, uh, you know, with that structure, you know, having a good cold calling script and also the templates, you're then really able to go step by step and adapt little things where you always feel there's a breakup in the call or there you lose the people. So, you know, where you actually need to change things. Yeah. And we, of course, also changed the business model then because the first one didn't work. But with that structure, then sales also started to pick up and we were actually able to, to win over the first clients. Yeah, and uh, what you mentioned there, like regarding HubSpot versus Pipedrive versus Salesforce, Soho, Closer. I, I've been a Salesforce admin for four years, like certified and, and stuff. Like, I think it, it really depends a bit on what you want to get done. But I mean, as long as technology works for you, not the other way around, I'm always happy, right? For, for your deals. Yeah. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about like all the sales KPIs at, at Jim Homper. Like, what was a typical deal size? What was a typical sales cycle? How much revenue did did you end up over which timeline if you if you can say that by NDA? Yeah, sure. I mean, we had investors, so we are a bit tied to the numbers there to uh, keep them confidential. Not all of them, but some of them. So lead cycle time was actually super short. We had pretty good numbers. So, you know, it's a small market. You have independent chimps. Usually you talk directly to the chim owners. So they're going in through cold calls was the best and most efficient way because the script developed and improved over time. 
So when we were actually able to reach and talk to the gym owners, we were then able to score about half of them to a personal meeting. That's so amazing. That was, that's super cool. I think it's also a bit like, you know, we talked Swiss German, which makes it super easy uh, in Switzerland to connect to the people. If you would call and speak in high German to them, they would be way more defensive, I would think. And also, you know, if you grow up in Bern, you have the Bernese accent. That's also a huge uh, sales advantage in Switzerland, I would say, uh, to do like cold calling. I guess let's not tell Björn Schäfer who built urban sports from, I think, like three to 30 plus salespeople. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's true. I think that's an interesting point you bring up because sales then is completely different than what you do now at Rentouch with enterprise sales, yeah. like selling some six figure deals, so 100,000 Swiss francs and above. What What's the main difference uh, that you encounter, like going from kind of Jim Hopper calling up the owner to selling six figure deals where you typically have anywhere like three to seven or even more stakeholders involved? So yeah, the process, the decision-making process is way more complex. You have like security approval processes. You have other people that do their sort of due diligence tests before they actually sign up. You have a procurement mm -hmm. department. So there are way more people involved in the whole decision-making process. And it's also way more structured, but also fully remote, which is great. Like half of our client base is based in the US. We don't have any physical presence there. And that's actually quite cool to, to be able to actually make that happen. And I think the biggest difference there is also in terms of the product itself. So Jim Hopper was basically, we had to push that into the market. We were able to develop a good relationship, a good brand across the gym owners. So that really helped us to, to get the product in the market. And when we had a chance to meet them in person, um, we were actually pretty good at selling them the product and let them join the network. Maybe we were too cheap or whatsoever, but I think they're really the personal connection made, made the difference. Yeah. And now with, with Rentouch, it's it's really cool to see that it's a very specific niche that Rentouch addresses in the safe, the scaled agile framework space. So this is like Scrum for super big companies. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they because of that niche, you know, people search for our solution. They search for tools to assist them with the very specific niche that we that we support in. And that yep. generates a lot of inbound leads, which is a very luxurious situation to be in. But that's basically, uh, we get a lot of inbound leads. So it's more of a market pull than a push than what we're used to from Jim Hopper. Yeah, w which is great to be on the other side of like call, like call sales, like uh, a lot of outbound. You also mentioned that one of the biggest mistakes you see in basically B2B founders and startup and startup is not qualifying enough and not following up. Could you tell us a bit more about what you see there? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we did basically the whole thing, uh, the whole mistake ourselves. So, you know, when when someone comes in, uh, fills in a contact form, signs up for a free trial whatsoever, you're so excited. So you just want to go and talk to them, do a demo with them and push the process forward. Yep. But you should actually do one step back and then first think about where do they come from? What issues do they have? What do they want to accomplish? And do these qualification questions first. That really helps you to avoid wasting a lot of time on the wrong leads. And if you don't do that, you can spend, do a demo, a 45 minutes demo, then you do a, a trial setup with them, invest more and more time. And then only at the end you real, realize, oh, they're just getting started with the safe framework and they will not have their first PI planning for another year. That's exactly what our solution supports. And then you realize you can have just easily asked about these points in like a 15 minute call to start to then yeah. take the appropriate measures. Which is why we have a 16 question discovery and qualification quiz in place. And 
I found there like the, the most interesting question is always when you ask like why do why should we work with you? We only work with committed entrepreneurs, and yeah. I'd say like two thirds of the answer are really good. Typically, it's like we have an amazing product, the market opportunities there. We have case mm -hmm. studies which just need somebody like helping us with B two B sales. Some people just answer like because you need the money. Like we'll t we'll not tell you or something. Like that. <laughs> but yeah. you know a bit what you get yourselves into at least with the right. scheduled forty five minute call. And you can yeah. also frame it a bit then before or when you start this. And we even introduced a question like, how much, how much budget I am willing to commit amount X on in Swiss francs on a 60 minute call. And then exactly. what we figured out is like for this complex sales, it's actually zero. I think I'm fine. I will not invest anything, but also zero. I am pumped, but I need to convince the decision maker. Mm -hmm. How do you apply such principles in enterprise sales where there's obviously the small balance of driving a deal forward, but at the, like at the same time also not over qualifying and building up too much friction too early on. So for us, it's pretty clear. We we, we don't have sixteen questions. I think we have like seven or eight. So we, we pretty have a good understanding. And one big advantage for us is the PI planning. So that's where they plan the priorities of their work for the next ten weeks, basically. So they do that once a quarter. And usually we get like a date. We ask, when's your next PI planning uh, event mm -hmm. happening? And that's great because that gives us a date and allows us to really drive the process forward. So we know within the next three months, they basically have a date coming up where they do the planning. And that's exactly what we can then use to, to move forward and uh, also really build out the whole process of how to evaluate, yeah. get security approval and all the other things necessary. Which is great because you can you have a trigger point uh, from which you can back propagate your mutual action plan exactly. and put things in place. And what will you recommend entrepreneurs that don't that sell a solution which does not have such a trigger point? Then, which, which they yeah. sell a solution which has a huge upside for somebody, but it's not an urgent problem and it's something like where somebody can get a 10x ROI, but there's zero trigger points. To yeah, then you need to identify the pain points that they currently face and then map them from, from our experience, basically, just to see what happens if you don't put any action behind your, your issues. So what happens if you don't change anything? What's yep. the cost? What do you miss out? And then you can basically show them the cost of if they continue with that for another three months, um, how much it will actually cost them or how much potential additional revenue that they miss. And this fear is uh, usually pretty strong. So what are the costs of being like, of inaction, basically, of not doing anything. And that's oh, something oh, we would like to do. Of missing out, like, exactly. hey, like, you haven't never been to a Goa party, but you should go because otherwise <laughs> it's going to be happening like, during Corona. Exactly. Yeah. Been to one was fun, but yeah, no, no ecstasy done. Um, maybe also like a really interesting one is on the not following up part, right? Um, basically, I, I, I always tell people I, in one one coaching webinars like that the money is in the follow up, and I truly believe that, like, yeah. Get in the house, do a proper follow-up, do a video sales letter. What's your belief why so few entrepreneurs succeed at consistency in that? Everybody does it once in a while, but how? why not consistently? I think often it's, it's a lack of, of discipline um, because you have so much other things going on. It's also a bit uncomfortable. I think also from the Swiss mindset, I could imagine, oh, I don't want to bother people. I already sent them an email. They haven't replied yet, so I don't bother them again which is completely wrong, especially if you are working with US-based clients as we do. It's like, you need to follow up basically in, of course, in a friendly manner uh, and, and don't like overdo it in terms of the language, but you just have to constantly email them until you get a reply. 
It's it's pretty simple. Because so if attention if, deficit is way higher in the US regarding yes. cold email than in, yeah. in Switzerland, you're still gonna be like three emails is a lot in Switzerland for people to take. Sure. In the US, yeah. you're at least this eight to twelve step crazy yeah. platform sequences. And also there, I mean, if, if you can't get a reply from them over email, try to connect over LinkedIn or call them or what whatever other contact form you have available, try multiple things if if they don't reply to you. Um, like you don't bother them, but you just want to know where you stand and get a feedback from them uh, in a friendly way that you know where you stand, which is also good for them. And we also had that, you know, there, there were follow-ups happening. Nothing went forward. They all said, we need more time. They, they At least they replied. And then suddenly out of nowhere, they replied and said, okay, I got the approval. We're good to go. We purchase out of nowhere. I think, that, I think that's a US thing, which we see with many yeah. customers recently. That Swiss people would tell you like, I need X in three months. Can we talk yeah. in three months? And then exactly. they will do it. Or if you're a good salesperson, you can even get them like, let's fix it now. Let's set a kickoff in three months. US people like they, they ghost you and then they would suddenly drop your one line and say like, ready. Exactly. Yeah. You're ready when we start. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly but I mean, it's also cool. I mean, of course, you're also happy about these things, but it also shows and highlights how important a follow-up is. Like, you have to follow up. And even if you get a no, um, try to stay in touch with them, uh, send them updates. If they want to, uh, like, drop out and, and sort of opt out of your newsletter communication or whatsoever, so be it. No problem about that. But all the others, uh, keep them in the loop, inform them what's changing, try to, to add value to them, and uh, always keep in mind that if there something changes, if it becomes a higher priority, that they know who you are and uh, can do business with you. Yeah, I think, I think staying, staying top of mind in our information overflow world is actually more crucial than people think. So we got sales playbook internally a rule that everybody posts on LinkedIn once every weekday. And like, I mean, people saw, like, I think missed, everybody missed maybe a day. I didn't, I hope, but very few people do that consistently, Yeah, I think. and. The, the other point is like uh, there's, there's an acronym right in, in Swiss German like nine equals not noch eine Information nötig. <laughs> really old school. It's better than our sales, so like anhauen, umhauen, abhauen, right? Yes. But what what do you think needs to happen in Switzerland to get more people motivated to go into sales? Because in B two B tech sales right now, there's about four four positions per really qualified salesperson. So it's how sales had had on the recently framed that way, like the war for talent is over, talent is won in B2B tech sales right now, which sucks if you're an entrepreneur for recruiting. Yeah, I think it's it's super difficult to find the good salespeople here in Switzerland. Many yep. startups that we also talked to interview for the Swisspreneur podcast, they struggle with that. And I think it's it's coming down with as everything else that we have and want to have more people doing that. I think we need more role models that actually share their stories, show how, what they did and how they did that so that more people get motivated to actually pursue that as a career choice. And I yeah. think it really does come down to the success stories, the role models to, to motivate you to, to want to do that. Because still from society, like, oh, you're a salesperson. This is like sort of an insult in Switzerland, yes. uh, still, unfortunately. But uh, I think it's going to change. In the US, it's, it's a very different story. It's basically like, hey, hey, grandma, like my my son, like here is went to President Club and earned a million. Like he's the rock star of the family now, right? One exactly. one play football, one is a salesperson. One maybe that's something useful. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think that's so true. But I think you're a great role model and also would be like a top ten candidate for chief hustling officer in a hustling in a positive way because you you're always really consistent, like. 
putting in the work, preparing professionally for it. I mean, I've been myself on like multiple podcasts and so on, but you've been the one that puts questions together from the community, adds value, follows up, like, here's the episode, like, hey, any questions? Can we improve something? Yeah, I mean, there also, you know, with the podcast, that's also, we see, we see many people starting podcasts these days, which I think is great. But really, again, many, many people, they stop after three weeks or two months whatsoever yeah. because the consistency is just not their thing. And I think also, you know, to, to the way where Swisspreneur is today, it's just like we have to put content out there on a consistent basis. It has to be good quality, of course, but also just on a consistent basis. We have one to two episodes per week. So always our regular episodes on Thursdays. And we, we've done that for the past two and a half years every week, basically. Yeah, exactly. That's just if you do that and stick around long enough, you, you basically probably beat like 95% of the market who just doesn't stay around for that long. You, you just out execute everybody that go comes and goes, I guess, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. I, I think still, yeah. I probably, probably that comes back to, you know, to the gym days, you know, it's, it's the same there. If you want to get results at the gym, you don't have to go and lift super heavy weights one, one time. And then you feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's no, really, you, you have to do that you, consistently. You over three years, uh, go to the gym two, three times a week, and you don't have to lift super heavy weights, but you just have to consistently do it to get results. And it's exactly the same in podcast game, in sales game, whatever you do. If you want to build something, you have to have consistency. Yeah, exactly. And I recently adopted like this. You, you might know this as like a gym enthusiast and like uh, Jim Wendler 531 system, right? And the guy can squat like 1,000 pounds and is like, hey, what about if I want to make progress in like 90 days? Like, this is for a decade like this is about mastery about taking something committing to it and execute for 10 years straight yeah. but our world is very much instagram ad lose five kilos in 30 days become rich quick uh, buy some bitcoin yep. uh, everything's going to be amazing <laughs> how, how do you see this applying in sales and also people coming on that path like and how, how do you see different types of sales, sales people why they go into sales yeah, there the motivation is a really big factor. So if you are motivated by money, which many salespeople are, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's also not the best motivation that you can have. So for me, I never like considered me to be like a really good salesperson because I was never motivated by money. For me, it's like, cool, that's a nice side effect. If a deal works out, you get a nice commission on top of that. But what's really important to me is try to help people, try to help them solve problems. And also to, to actually get there, you need to ask questions to better understand them. So I think that motivation is way better to then connect on a deeper level with the people that you're actually potentially winning over as clients and to also understand what are the real issues and how can you solve them. And also be honest, if it's not a good fit, like two weeks ago, we had a company that wanted to have some sort of a workaround and work with a different use case that is just not a good setup for the way yeah. that they wanted to use our software. And then I told them, Look, guys, if you want to do it, you have to invest and also buy the licenses the way that we have set up the product, because then you really get a lot of value out of that. You save metal copy paste work and all of that. But if you're not willing to do that, you better stay with your workaround and the current whiteboard solution that you have. It's not the same solution, the same quality, but it's better for all of us. You better do it right or you don't do it at all. But there's no thing in between just to close the deal. And there I felt... Yeah we would not be able to really help them the way with a small workaround if they don't want to invest the full budget. I think that's a very interesting point you bring up, not to fire customers, but not to, not to sign them up in the first place. In yeah. my experience, some prospects or people that can become customers are just 
difficult in a sense, like they make your life hard as a salesperson during the sales process. And I think that the challenging thing is, are they just like really diligent and want, wanting to do the right thing? Or will they be quite frankly pain in the ass once you have them as customers? Exactly. Yeah. What, what's one thing, one or two hit, like best practice or like tips of the day, you could say like, how do you differentiate diligent buyers that just do proper evaluation from yeah. that are just painful to work with? So there for us, it's really, um, there are two things that we actually observed over the, the past few years. So one is if people try to negotiate to cut a deal with you and do that over and over again, even if you gave them something or you said no or whatsoever, and they still continue doing that, giving you a hard time, that's probably also how they will behave once they become a customer. Yeah. So like basically, you only spend half an hour of the setup fee times, or I still yes. have half an hour goods. Like exactly. now it's Sunday, I need something by Monday, kind of. Type yeah. Of and the way that they interact with you in that pre you know, pre closing process, basically, that's sort of a sneak peek how they will potentially also behave once you start working together. It's another story, you know. If they're then there's their security team and uh, they have just a lot of questions and uh, they go into more details, no problem about that. That can take time. That because that's their job, right? Because exactly. they're liable that their like twenty seven uh, step cloud yeah. procedure ISO certification is fulfilled. Exactly. And what we also see is sometimes, you know, then the, the people where you then give a discount or the people that don't have like too high revenues, recurring revenues with you, but, you know, they, they have a lot of maintenance. They ask a lot of like questions. They have a lot of support requests and everything. Yeah. So what we also see here is that there's a tendency that the small tickets that negotiate a special deal or where you actually try to make everything possible. And it's just like, you didn't really meet the need of each other whatsoever, that these are then often also the high maintenance customers. So this is a bit counterintuitive. It was or also or a at least the same maintenance, like somebody investing 10K with your solution has the same maintenance as somebody investing 100K with your solution. Yep. But the 100K guy is probably more professionalized and able to get value from you quickly. Yeah, but I think there's really also about the, the whole process before. So if they come in and say, hey, we're just a small team, that's what we want. That I mean, there's no problem about that, you know? with yeah. the small deal size. But if they are a much bigger organization, they just want to start with a very small bit and they have a lot of special requests, they try to negotiate mm -hmm. to cut a special deal. That's then also a really good sneak peek how they will behave when you actually yeah. work together. The interesting thing I found is when you do this with very experienced people, um, actually, they they don't want to negotiate that much. Like. I, with like yeah. very senior procurement lead, actually, I send like partner agreement. So he's sometimes a sales mastermind for us. And he's like, yeah, that's fine, fine, that's good. Exactly. Like, sure, you don't want to negotiate. You don't want to do due diligence. Like, hey, I've been in business for twenty years. Seems fine. Like, fine. Yeah. Like, you seem fair guy. Like, in the end, it's paper. And there's a cool recommendation that we got from uh, Tobias Hackerman, the founder of Sherpany. He's a really experienced sales guy. And on our podcast, he basically said, look, negotiations are part of the deal. But if they want something from you, you can also ask for something in return. So he did like a deal with a, a cookie uh, factory. And then he just negotiated free cookie delivery for his whole team in order for in return for a discount, which is pretty cool. It's a win-win at yeah. the end for both. Yeah, and exactly. Thing, or like a testimonial or like referral or a joint webinar. Or, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, if you work with exactly. food and leverage, I think it's pretty fun. Yeah. And one thing he also mentioned that if you do discounts, always like reduce the increase of the discount. So you, you first, they ask for like a 10% discount. Then it's going to say, okay, we can do 10%. We do this and that in return. And then the next discount is not 12 or 15% that you give as a second one, but then you always go lower and lower and lower. 
that the procurement team sees, okay, it's basically decreasing. I maxed out. It's it's their job to ask for discounts to try yeah, to get sure. the maximum out of there. But if you always go lower, 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 then they realize, okay, we probably hit the ceiling. That's it. We're gonna that, seal that's the deal. diminishing returns. Like we're gonna exactly. bully somebody else, like on school ground. If somebody gives you five bucks, two bucks, one buck. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Fair game. Um, so I'd love to ask you a few rapid fire questions. We figured out the more rapid to fire than to answer, but sure. take time and briefly state why. And then I'd have like one or two thoughts about uh, Swisspreneur in sales. Uh, so first rapid fire question. Uh, do you prefer one Swiss francs of revenue from a new or an existing customer and why? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, I just like closing new deals. So it would be from new customers. But I also really like to get the upsells because then it's also a good uh, feedback that you did your job right at the beginning, that they're happy with the product and therefore expanding. So I like both. I think uh, at the end, revenue is revenue and we all lo love to close more revenue. Sounds good. And if you get a 100K bonus, do you want it in cash or stock options from your current company if you want to? I mean, for Rentouch, uh, definitely stock options. I'm super bullish on the company. Um, otherwise, cash is also fine and I invest it myself. Cool stuff. Love that one. Uh, if you can hire a junior sales rep for 50K or a senior sales rep for 150K, which one do you take and why? Um, doesn't matter on the salary or, or level. Uh, it depends what we want to achieve and how good of a fit it is. Makes sense. And what's your own number one source of improving your own sales skills? People, podcasts, books, besides the Swisspreneur podcast, which I guess <laughs> learned something. Yeah, sure. Um, for me, it's really people. I just like talking to people, exchanging, and then gathering new ideas and then putting them into action, testing things. So definitely people is main source of inspiration. Cool. And what do you wish you would have known when you were 20 and how old are you now? And now 28. So um, I think that you can actually do it. So have trust in yourself. Um, you can do bigger and better things than you can imagine when you're 20 years old. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, that's something we hear a lot, like be more confident, like take the risk. Uh, nothing will happen, you will not die. And uh, <laughs> Especially not in Switzerland, right? Yeah, I think that the likeliness to basically run out of money in social security is lower than in the US, for exactly. example. And what's the most interesting trend in B2B sales you see emerging right now of the whole world went remote, like now might come back a bit to a certain degree? I mean, for us, it's, it's super cool to be able, you know, to deal with companies from all over the world. I mean, remote selling has been around before COVID in the US because it's such a big country. But it basically also really gave us a whole boost, um, you know, to be able to close deals with big, large uh, U.S. companies here from Switzerland. And I think that's a fantastic thing because before I that was always a goal for me. I, I always wanted to close deals with U.S. clients, and I thought, okay, I just have to go there a few months or in a few years and work from there. But now it's just possible here from Switzerland, which is a, a fantastic development, I think. Yeah, really cool stuff for remote sales. I think it like really had a ton of families in, in that sense. Also, like less travel, less out of home, less nights away, and so on. Uh, so really, really cool. And then one last question about um, Swisspreneur. If you if you might need to take a judgment, like which person did you learn the most from about B two B sales? Well, this is really difficult because we had uh, numerous people to talk about that. Um, it depends a bit of. Like what kind what, of what aspects. are your top three and what did you learn from them? Sure. So like, I mean, one really cool story is Ariel Ludi with Hybris. I mean, just the spirit of thinking big, saying no to multiple hundred million dollars offers of selling the company and say, no, we can do bigger uh, than that and better. And, and then building it and growing and then selling it for more than a billion. I mean, 
that takes some guts to say no and to resist the push of the investors to actually cash in and have a nice return. So in terms of you know sales spirit and thinking bigger, I think that would be a great episode. Of course, Lars Mollenstor from Yokoi when it comes to the <laughs> operational part of uh, shipping around shoes and stuff. I mean, fantastic episode. And then, of course, also Tobias, I already mentioned him, Tobias Hackeman from Sherpany. I think he also has some very good negotiation tactics and skills to share. And um, there are plenty more. So uh, you have to check out for yourself. You can filter with the sales and marketing tag on our website to get all the episodes that we did on, on these topics. Good stuff. Yeah. I, for example, I also love the one with Yeremi Asmaya, who I actually took yes. as a connector to reach out and like send him a video, says that via LinkedIn. So. I mean, there were many cool episodes, many great people that we had the the chance and the luck to interview. So, yeah, it, it's super difficult to to pick just a, a few of them. You have to check out for yourself. Sounds, sounds amazing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually listening to like half of them, I'd say. Like this is actually one oh. of the few podcasts besides Nathan Lotka, Top Entrepreneurs yeah. Podcast, and maybe Demartel uh, sometimes. Uh, so thanks so, so much for, for sharing all these insights with us and uh, wrapping it up. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, you found Jim Hopper. Solid successfully to my clubs, had a business development there, actually now went way bigger than deal sizes, also to the US with Rentouch. In between, recorded 150 plus episodes for Swisspreneur. And uh, yeah, thanks for being an inspiration to the Swiss sales state of the nation and hopefully get a lot more people into B2B sales moving forward. We hope so. Thank you for having me. And uh, I hope we're just getting started. We have a lot of more ideas to uh, execute on. Absolutely. Still day one. And I think we had exactly. one here. Cool. Thank you so much, Manuel. Thank you.